computer, he really enjoys using going through the nine steps and he enjoys using the music app. Yes. Can you just share a little bit about what you've seen with him enjoying the tutoring and also enjoying to read now? Yeah, that is that still uh it kind of just takes my breath away and is so almost shocking to me when I catch him just reading casually. Um when you have a child who you know, couldn't memorize his letters, you know, going on a couple years working on that to reading four or five letter words, spelling, spelling difficult and challenging words that I think are even above his level. It's just, it still catches me off guard. And it's so, um, it's so amazing and fulfilling to see that. And I could see how, like you mentioned, how proud he is of himself. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think, I think we both felt very kind of hopeless because we didn't know what was wrong. We didn't know, you know, why these things weren't sticking. And so, yeah, it's, he, he actually um, enjoys reading and he's actually, I mean, for how much he's had to catch up, he's actually really good. Hi, thank you for joining us today. I have a very special friend that I want that I've had on my YouTube and podcast um, last year, and I'm so excited to have her back again. She is an educational advocate and consultant, and she's actually studying to be a paralegal. She's been one of my heroes fighting for the success of her children who have dyslexia, and she has dyslexia herself. But when you meet her, you're going to see she's a rock star. I want to introduce you to my friend Becky Barnes. So come on, come on on stage here, Becky. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to see you after such a long time. I know it's it's been a crazy couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, we've been keeping in touch over the year to find out about you going back to school and what's been happening with your sons, and talking about the science of reading, how important that is versus balanced reading and you know to the general public balanced reading sounds great right it, it does <laughs> and it's crazy it, it's a debate here in the state of south carolina um i'm in south carolina and 30 percent of adults um are only 30 percent of adults proficient readers and over 50 percent of the adults in the state are functionally illiterate oh, um and it's it's a big deal um we, I like to tell people we fight for our, with Alabama and Mississippi for the bottom. So uh, it's a, it's a passion of mine. I had no idea I'm a reader, but um, I also am nearly 50 and I grew up being taught phonics. So it, it's a big difference when you're taught phonics and you have a mild dyslexia situation versus when you're not taught phonics and then you have a mild dyslexia situation. What you end up with is a child that is really smart, and, and he is, and his visual spatial acuity, he, he could copy things um, and memorize stuff. But at the end of the day, what was he actually reading? So when we first got him tested, we knew something was off, and I had no idea dyslexia was even on the table. And when she first said he's dyslexic, I was like, that can't be possible. He scores in the 99th percentile in math testing in third grade. How does that happen? 
And the more I learned, the more I was like floored. I, I was floored. And the more I realized that I was very lucky to be in a school district when I was that age that specifically taught phonics in elementary school Amen, me and sounding out. <laughs> I, I mean, that sounds really horrible. People are like, what do you mean? And, you know, um, I decided I wanted to go back to school. So I knew I had ADHD. I mean, anyone who's in around me can tell you I have ADHD. It's, it's pretty bad. I knew it was like significant, but I went back to get neuropsych testing because I'm going to paralegal school and I have some things I want to do. And, um, and congratulations. I'm so happy for you to do that. Yeah. And, um, it, it turns up that I've got a specific learning disability in reading and specifically they found that while my comprehension was really high and that I could fluently read if I knew the words, words that I didn't know, uh-huh. my phonemic awareness was impacted. It wasn't like, and the two percentile, but I also have an IQ that's like in the 95th percentile. So when you've got um, the ability to decode nonsense words and use those rules and, and understand multisyllabic words that you've never heard before and you can't decode them properly, that becomes a problem, especially I, I'm going to be a paralegal, right? I want to be a paralegal. Um, I want to help children and families. Uh, with disabilities and eventually I'd like to go to law school and be an attorney because I have a child that doesn't have dyslexia but has autism and um, there are some things that come along with that even with highly functional um, people that can go and do work there there's modifications there's things that we've run into and I wanted to help people like I was helped and what I found was there's limits and I have to say it did make me feel better though Marianne it it, it made me feel better it made me feel like wow maybe I wasn't such a slacker loser after all in high school because when you hit a wall you hit a wall and you start to think it's you um and even though I'm really smart I could never get above a 3.0 in high school or college I couldn't maintain the consistency that was needed to be like the top tier. Well, you know, a lot of parents need to know they need to advocate for their kids. They need to know their kids can go to college if that's their interest and that there are accommodations for them to get through college. I think a lot of the parents just steer away from that because we do have technical school and trade school. But, you know, you have really fought the good fight for your kids and you went, you had state, you went to the state, you had civil, I mean, I wrote down that there was state, civil, ethics, and due process, which is actually going to court for your child to get what your, what your son needed for his advocacy, your daughter for her. Well, it's for, yeah. So I've got two boys. One is 18, one 17. Yes. So we filed state complaints. Um, we filed um, federal complaints. We filed ethics complaints. Um, we do have some civil things that are still ongoing because of COVID. And it was all about what is best for my child. And um, my oldest one has is autism spectrum disorder. And because he's a genius, they didn't do anything. And my younger one was in GT. And they're like, well, he's not failing yet. And when I pulled him out, they, they, we had DSS was called because we, we had a doorstep and we, we've gone through the gamut. When we pulled him out, we started working with him. This is a child that was supposed to be gifted and talented in fifth grade. It was supposed to be the top tier 
but he was doing math, basic math fluency and writing fluency and reading at like a first or second grade level. And when you would give him nonsense words, he would mess them all up. Um, and so it was like, what is going on here? And they were like, oh, it's just his ADHD. If you just treat his ADHD, it would be fine. And what I've since found in, in my years of advocacy and helping parents and, and even starting a charter school for children that are dyslexic is in, in people don't understand the science of reading. They don't understand how it affects you. They don't understand dyslexia. And the assumption is, well, dyslexia just means you you can't read the words right. You don't understand yeah. what they say. They're mixed up. They're backwards. And, and it's like this. It's it's an assumption that, well, if you were just smarter or you were just learned to write the right way, you would be okay. And it's really shocking the assumptions that are made. And it's even more shocking. If you have someone that's in really, really smart, the assumption is either you're lazy or you are faking it that you can't do certain things. And, and with my child, with me, with other students that are in this twice exceptional where they're, they are like in the top 10% of IQs, it shows up sometimes not in the reading, but in the writing. Yeah. The writing is the red flag. And I, I'm sure you see that too, is where they can make it okay with the reading because they are really smart and they can figure out stuff. But the writing, it's like... Well, you know, writing is so important. I just did a, a YouTube the other day about letting starting helping kids start to journal. Let them start writing about what their day was like and being thankful. What were they thankful for? And let it be engaging in that way, but getting them on a track to writing. There's a, you know, like you had mentioned in one of your YouTubes about learning how to structure sentences and diagramming. And we did all that in elementary school. I, I loved it. You didn't like it. I did hated you? diagramming, but here's the thing. <laughs> My kids were not taught diagramming no. at all no. until I homeschooled them. And I'm like, when I was an eighth grader and, you know, my oldest one, he's very smart. He can write brilliantly, but my youngest child, he couldn't, and they don't address that. And I will say before we moved, we left, I mean, Tyler got something called a 504 for his ADHD and dyslexia, begrudgingly. Uh -huh. but when we pointed out that he was doing writing where there was punctuation, there was grammar mistakes, that there was spelling mistakes. He wrote a haiku where it was, um five seven six we were told that didn't really matter because it's more important to be imaginative imagination and creation creativity is more important and i was like wow but how how do you i mean imagination and creativity is great but if i have to write an email explaining what i need and document that i need i'm sick and I've gone to the store and I need you to go let my dog out. How am I going to do that if I don't know grammar, punctuation and spelling and how people interpret reading? And if I just do it all phonetically and I understand there's some great technology and I use technology, my son uses technology. But at the end of the day, if you don't understand the basics of that, all the technology in the world is not going to help. You. you know, and those are real good examples of just. When you want to write something, really, you don't want to be on your computer or on your phone, but directions, you know, 
if when if you're a parent, t- how to take out, you know, how to take care of the food and what the what the what the expectations are for the day for the children. And you pointed out on one of your other videos about jobs. You know, you you know, I, I people can't apply for jobs if they don't know how to fill out the application. And I even had an adult tell me years ago that he felt like a liar and a cheat having someone else fill out his job application. And then what about if you don't get the job that goes above minimum wage? How can you buy your car? How can you buy the food you want to get even go out? So we need to read. So the kids are graduating from high school, bottom line. And if they want to go to college, we're going to help them get to college. So why do you think it's, why do you think it's taking, you know, I know COVID's a big excuse for a lot of stuff. You know, why, the, why the teachers aren't teaching, you know, the structured literacy, the science of reading, because first of all, they don't know it. But those who do know it, I think, are taking a back seat because of other other priorities. But why do you think it's taken us so long, maybe aside from the COVID situation? Politics. So in the state of South Carolina, reading recovery came about um, from Australia in the 1980s. And it was out of Australia, New Zealand. It was a new program and they had success. And in South Carolina, reading recovery is in every law you're going to find reading recovery, project read, but reading recovery, because we're the number two reading recovery um, center in the nation. We're the second one in the United States with Clemson. Clemson and USC are the big schools. So if you're getting money pumped in to a reading center, then it's a major place where you have to graduate from either USC or Clemson to be a politician. What are you going to get? You're going to have, this is politics. This is politics at play. Plus that's when the philosophy came about in the eighties that if we just expose children to good literature, it's like language. We don't have to actually teach them the basics of it, that it'll fall into place and they'll learn. And, you know, I, I can say this from two perspectives. My older son Um, someone did work with him. There was an older teacher, her name was Sarah Martin, that was a friend of ours. And she taught in Jersey for um, 30 years. And she came down and she wrote a phonics book and she worked with him on phonics. But realistically, by fourth grade, he was, by the time he was four or five years old, he was able to decode on his own. Now, did he have some other issues? Yes. Um, He specifically has um, a convergence issue. But once the convergence issue was solved, he was reading at an eighth and ninth grade level in second grade. Whereas my younger son, we kept noticing he would only read very simplistic words. And in kindergarten, he was memorizing. He could memorizing and memorizing is good. But one of the things that we didn't know at the time that we literally learned, find out, would find out is like he, when we would practice rhymes, nursery rhymes, he couldn't uh, distinguish that. When it was like, what rhymes with tap? He'd go top. (laughs) It was like tap, top. Yep. T. Okay, what about cat? Car? Why? Well, the both sell at the front. I was like, no, they have to end at the end. So we, we worked on that. But he also couldn't say crocodile. Crocodile was crocodile. Um, spaghetti <laughs> was pagabi. And it's really cute when they're kids. But what I didn't know until fourth grade when um, Dr. Gretchen Hunter is the neuropsych that tests him and is amazing at Child and Family Development in Charlotte is those are all signs of a child that has phonemic awareness issues. And I didn't know until I was like, I'm going to find out why, how could this kid have dyslexia? Because he was reading 
when he does the comprehension tests on map, he scores in the 99th percentile. He's not the lowest at fluency. I mean, he wasn't like super high, but when I started piecing apart stuff and I had him start reading stuff to me, it was like, how do you not know the sound? We, we were doing sounds one day and I had him tell me what the sound A-L-E-L and O-L were. And to him, it sounded the same. Yeah. Sound the same. Pin and pin, same thing. We would go through and like I's and E's. And I can tell you to this day, and and he was pulled out in the fall of 2016. And we were doing stuff because I had to quit my job. The situation with his older brother was severe. Um, there was, he's been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder um, from what he endured in the school, the two years he was in middle school. Um, and I had to quit my job. Uh, I tried to work and it didn't work. I had to quit my job. I had to stay home. I had to homeschool them because we didn't have the funds uh, to send them to private school in this area because that's going to be 25 to 30,000. Plus most of the private schools also require review from the teachers. And um, when you file five state complaints and prove systemic child fine violations, schools don't want to fill out paperwork for you. Um, I just want to, I want to stop you right now and, and let the audience know we're talking as if you understand the terminology of education and advocacy. So if there's any questions you have of anything we're discussing or things that Becky's sharing, like, um, you know, child find, you need to email me at my website, dyslexia-solutions.com. And, and I'll explain that because I've had to explain it to, to other parents too as I've advocated as a tutor, because I tutor three students right now. So some yeah. of the terminology, um, what is decoding, what is encoding, what is, um, you know, uh, you know, the rhymes, we're assuming you, you understand that. So if you don't, you need to email me and, and I'll, I'll explain that further to you. Yeah. So- and phonemic awareness is one, you know, phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, being able to tear apart the sounds of the words and, I had always had problems. It was a joke, um, actually, with anyone that had gone to college with me that I had taken Spanish because in, co- in high school, I took Latin. And then when I got to Spanish, wow. I took um, a Spanish class at the school um, where I went. And the teacher was a friend of my mother's. And it was a big joke that um, I couldn't speak Spanish. And then I was required to read um, Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 in Spanish. And I got to the fifth verse and he said, that's plenty. And they, it's a big joke. He must've felt sorry for you and gave you your C because I couldn't, like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't hear the sounds. Mm. And, and my mother took, could speak Spanish. My brother could speak Spanish. They were both, uh, my mom was a Spanish minor. I mean, it wasn't, and I can, and the funny part is, is I've worked in restaurants to this day. I've worked in restaurants. I worked with, I can I can look at Spanish and French because I had Latin basis and I can basically understand what's being said. I know when they're talking back and forth, when I was in a restaurant working as a waitress, I could tell you basically what they were talking about, but I cannot say it or read it out loud because that requires attaching the sounds that make up that language to the symbols that symbolize the letters and the sounds and make up the words. And I cannot do it. And now that I know about it, I'm like, 
that's a red flag. There, right there is a red flag that I phonemic awareness, the ability to tear apart sounds and understand sounds and identify sounds and delete them and manipulate those sounds. And then go, these are the sounds and the symbols that are going to represent those. I didn't understand that until my child had dyslexia. And he, it, it, the way it got found out even is hilarious because he said to me in fifth grade, and you've got to understand we're in the top school district in the state of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, we, he's in fifth grade. He's in the gifted and talented program. And he says, mom, which way does the D face? And I said, what do you mean? Which way the D faces? There's only one way the D faces. He goes, if I'm trying to write the word dog, does the bubble go right or left? And yeah. I said, that's not even funny. He goes, no, which way does it go? I don't remember. In fifth grade. And I was like, in fifth grade. And I was like, what? And I went to them and they're like, well, you know, he has ADHD. And this, as, as I'm going through this, my other son's going through this and we're finding out that the law has been broken on both children because child fine, if you suspect a disability, you're supposed to tell the school and they're supposed to, according to federal law, when they take a dollar of money, locate, evaluate and identify. And because my children weren't failing and my husband and I are both gifted, it's that's not even a question. We both are in the top five percentile, even with my ADHD, who's off the roof. I scored a 125 on the adult whisk and I've got like ADHD that I was told is sort of the worst they've ever seen Uh, a 125. My husband's is a 130. We're in the top, like intelligence wise. Yeah. So your kids, you know, they're smart. Yeah. The the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. So we've got these smart kids and the assumption is, well, he's smart, but it's his ADHD. He just doesn't want to do it. Instead of saying, wait a minute, this kid should be doing this. Why isn't he doing it? What, what, do you have a trick that you, I have a very special trick that finally is working for students. I want to ask you first, do you have a trick to teach the B and the D? I've got multiple tricks, multiple. actually. <laughs> so there's multiple tricks. I actually, so, you know, because I've had to do this all my life. And I also didn't realize this is a sign of dyslexia. Uh-huh. I cannot tell my right from my left. I literally have to hold them up and go, oh. This face is this uh-huh, way, uh-huh. right? As long as I can remember. It's been like a joke. As long as they can remember. If I, you tell me right, you don't say this right uh-huh. or like point <laughs> that I'm going to probably go the other way. And and for the people that don't know, that actually is a sign of a possible dyslexia yeah. and ADHD. And who would have thought that? Because it's not reading, right? Uh-huh. But I actually have the, if you hold it this way and you hold it this way, B E. D um, is the way that um, we had taught my son. And the other one is using baseball, like drawing a baseball, a bat comes before the baseball. Because they have to memorize that part that the bat comes before. And then the dog, the head comes before the tail. Yes. If they can remember that. You have to. The same with P and Q and G, like you, you have to memorize, you have to come up with a way. And, and my son specifically is really good at remembering pictures. And what's funny is 
I didn't realize, I, I, I will tell you when, when the, we were told that he had dyslexia, I said, how does he have dyslexia? I'm like, she's like explaining. He does this. He does this. He does this. I said, huh, I do that. And I don't have dyslexia. And my husband goes, and she looked at me. She said, you know, a lot of people haven't been identified and they find workarounds. I said, what are you saying? And my husband goes, haha, are you saying she has dyslexia? And she just said, I'm saying that there's a lot of people that are smart. They find workarounds. I was like, what in the world? I don't have dyslexia. The fact that you were taught phonics in elementary school, if everybody was taught it, it would just clear up, you know, because 40% of the, uh, 40% dyslexia genetic, and then there's so much developmental dyslexia. If everybody was taught phonics, you would see those kids who struggled with that. Even my own kids struggled with kinder and first grade. And my daughter did some summer school pro. Well, my daughter was, went after school a little bit and my son did summer school and they weren't even dyslexic. It's phonics is tricky, but they had a very funny, good, you know, program was right. called Spalding. And the school they went to, went to back 20 years ago is still teaching Spalding. And, and, and the other part is, is I was taught to write cursive. And as much as people think that Kurt, and I didn't even realize at the time because, you know, they're not really focusing on writing when my kids are coming through. And what I realized is later after doing the research and going through all these programs and learning about the science of reading is reading and writing are like this. They're like, you really can't yeah. separate them. Yeah. And cursive writing helps us to learn to read and distinguish like the B and the D because there no no letter in cursive is alike, and then moving to print, you can distinguish them better because you're used to. And who knew? Who? Why didn't we know that? And when I found the research, and it's it's out there, and it's been known for forty or fifty years that cursive writing and learning to spell teaches you to read and connects the phonemic awareness. I was like shocked. Me, you I, know, I don't know how else to say it. One of the Orton Gillingham methods that they teach us is also to teach cursive and, um, you know, what the patterns are. And one of my uh, students, I'm actually helping her with her cursive. And I told her when she goes to a museum when she's older and if she ever sees a letter by George Washington or, you know, one of our founding fathers, she'll be able to read the letters because yeah. they're cursive. We're cutting them off from that if we're not teaching them cursive. Right. And the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they're all written in cursive. And and what I also found is there are certain schools, classical schools that use instead of special ed teachers in some of the private schools, they use NILD therapists. And that's N-I-L-D. And they, as a practice, as an educational therapist, believe you should teach cursive to automaticity because of the neurological connections that happen because handwriting connects parts of the brain that then can be used to build a foundation on to connect the parts of the brain for reading because it requires different parts of the brain four different parts right I didn't know that but what I knew in the homeschooling community is there was a hyper focus in the homeschooling community on cursive writing and being able to read original documents Mm. for no other reason and what's interesting is across the board, and, and there are exceptions, if you do studies on college entrance exams, writing, handwriting, and reading 
homeschoolers may not do as well in math, but they are through the roof when it comes to reading and writing because their parents hyper-focus. And a lot of times they're using things like 100 lessons to reading, logic of English. And logic of English is a based in the science of reading. It, it, it's, it's when you go and look for homeschooling curriculums, or even if you are in a private school, um, a religious private school, the Catholic schools teach the science of reading. They have all the time. They've never changed that program. A lot of the Christian schools that use Alpha Omega, I believe Sunlight, they have never left phonics. So you've yeah. got the public schools who went to balanced literacy because it taught literacy and ideas and literature and a love of literature. Um, because phonics can be boring. I mean, it's, it's like two plus two equals four. <laughs> I mean, after a while you get tired of that. But if you don't understand how it goes, and I will say when I was growing up, two plus two equals four and having to know fractions, I was like, I'm never going to use this. As an adult, um, I'm like, oh, to my kids, I'm like, if you're playing Pokemon, if you're playing like the video games that these kids play, or like some of the games, Prodigy Math, there's different games where they have to do formulas and they have to cast spells or they have to do this. They're using algebra in real time. We just don't say you're doing polynomials <laughs> as you try to go through and figure out if the person in front of you is a good guy or a bad guy, or if, as you're playing oh. this role-playing game um, online and trying to decide, you know, where you're going to go next and trade merchants, we don't break it down how it applies to kids. Becky, one of the things I wanted to um ask you about when you are, your concern is that the kids need to be writing. And I I have this wonderful book that I got. It's the, the ABCs of OG. Yes. And it's so amazing because it lists a lot of phrases. And if kids could learn phrases of the sounds, do you agree with that? Learning the phrases and then. Well, I think it's sense. easier to lose phrases, but I also think that if you just teach the sounds and you don't teach them to connect them to words that they hear all the time, yeah. then it doesn't, it doesn't do that. It, it's multi-sensory. That's, I mean, that's what I would say. And, mm -hmm. you know, what I would say is in every case where I've gotten the school to adopt multi-sensory learning, whether it's OG based and I like OG or it's um, Linda B. Bell, which Linda B. Bell is not OG based, but if you look at them, they follow, they, it follows the science of reading. It doesn't right. have to be or, from Orton Gillingham. And when you say Orton Gillingham, Orton was a doctor and Gillingham was a psychologist and they developed a program based on the research that Orton did. But yes. other people were finding it throughout the world. It's not like, and, and that's one of the things that I think is really fascinating. When you say the science of reading, we didn't know a hundred years ago when Orton and Gillingham put this program together. And even I believe Linda B. Bell came about in the seventies. They didn't know that. But what we know now is science is able to actually put electrodes on your brains or put you in like an MRI. And they're actually able to see in real time how like the connections in your brain works as an illiterate person is reading. Yep. And it doesn't matter if you're learning to speak Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, French, Latin, uh, English, in order to read, specific things have to be happening in your brain or it's not reading. Every time 
there is something that lights up the way the brain works over hundreds of studies. There's no, nothing that is a new pathway. Every time it has to connect the sounds or the words to a symbol and be understood or it's not reading. And when I read that, I was like, that's fascinating. And then I started doing stuff, other things. And what you find is Orton Gillingham is the gold standard, but you have all these other people that didn't know about Orton Gillingham in other countries. And they're they're teachers and they're looking to see what happens and works and and i I know people created the same stuff that other organizations have created they didn't know it was orton gillingham it's just to them it makes sense this is how you're going to teach right let me ask you we need to wrap it up can i ask you to what would be your final um few your words to the audience as as we wrap this up um Invest in the science of reading, get, uh, learn about the science of reading, attend your seminars, read Overcoming Dyslexia, Louisa Motes um, is got great literature out there. And I would say, push for the science of reading in every classroom in every school. Okay. And, you know, that's a very good segue for me to share that um, February 26th, um, the International Dyslexia Association in California, it's called the Tri-County Branch, they're having their spring conference from uh, 12 o'clock to 4.30, and I've been asked to teach on the science of reading, so I'm going to be doing a 15 to 20-minute presentation, and what that is going to encompass is how we have to teach, you know, structured, systematically, and sequentially, build comprehension, and cumulatively. So let's learn what all that is about. And um, Becky, thank you for being with us today. You've shared a lot of knowledge and I hope parents have their little notepads out and are, are re-listen to this episode, right? And share with others. Because yeah, and I, I think, and thank you for doing that. And, you know, I appreciate your doing this and giving people an opportunity to help their kids um, and teaching about this. It, it needs to be done. And How can they reach you? Go ahead. Uh, so, so if you want to reach me, I'm going to give you my um, school because I am on a school board for a dile- public dyslexia charter school. And I know you know that um, it's called, uh, for short, it's called Pace Academy, um, Palmetto Excell- uh, Achievement Center for Excellence in Columbia. And it's going to be Becky, B-E-C-K-Y-E dot Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S at choosepace.com. Uh, right, sorry, choosepace.org, not choosepace.com, okay. choosepace.org. Um, and you can reach me through there. Um, and it is, it, it's the school that me and um, nine other people started um, to show uh, South Carolina that if you have the science of reading in place and you have explicit sequential structured um, literacy, that you can change, make a difference, and that you don't have to pull kids out and that kids can graduate on grade level by eighth grade reading, even with dyslexia. Um, Well, I feel like I'm going to have to have you back and share some more information, even to talk about graduation. That's really important. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we have a lot of information there. Also go into the website for the International Dyslexia Association it's called a tri-county branch for the um, events. And you can sign up for this conference on the 26th and you can learn very easily about structured reading. So thank you again. And I wish you all a very blessed week. Bye-bye. 
you for listening to this podcast in its entirety. If what we shared today has inspired you, would you please visit our website, dyslexia-solutions.com, and consider making a donation so that we can keep these podcasts going. Also, please subscribe to our channel and find me on, on Instagram, Marianne Cintron. Thank you again for tuning in, and may God bless you. Thank you.